0: Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911,
1: what's your emergency? Yeah.
2: transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the US, trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years.
3: This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here.
0: It- These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The Murder of Brandon James Tina Friday, December 31st, 1993 Humboldt, Nebraska Warning The following episode you're about to listen to will contain evidence of misgendering. Listening discretion is
2: advised. Left emotional scars on the people of Humboldt, Nebraska. Three people killed, including Brandon Tina, a 21-year-old transgender Nebraska who the convicted murderer now sits on death row for. In this exclusive special report, 1011's Chad Silver speaks with a man who is now facing execution. Most everyone who lived in Nebraska in nineteen ninety three remembers hearing about the murders. John Lauder, at the center of it all, accused of shooting and killing Brandon Tina, Lisa Lambert, and Philip Devine. The court ruled Lauder and Marvin Neeson raped and killed Brandon after learning he was actually a she. The other two just happened to be there at the time. Lauder has maintained his innocence. For his plea deal, Neeson was sentenced to life in prison. Monter to death row, and that's where he's been for the past 16 years, waiting for his final punishment, but hoping for an appeal. Do you think that he will be executed?
4: Well, there was a time I'd, I'd say no, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's one thing, now, I, and I, I don't sit here and say no to that possibility. I mean, now, with the way things have went, especially here at Clay, I mean, it's clearly, you know, getting more and more than could be a possibility.
2: The appeals aren't going his way, first denied by the Federal Court of Appeals and then the U.S. Supreme Court in March. As he sits here at the Tecumseh State Correctional Institution, he knows his time is almost up. What is it like knowing that, you know, every day you go by and it's possible that you could get a call tomorrow and someone from the state and they said, okay, this is the day that you're going to be executed.
4: Well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't look at it in that terms. I just look at it, you know. Uh, you know, I got a deal that I got in front of the court, and, and I know that that could go one way or the other. And and then I know after I get to a certain stage, there's that possibility that a date can be set, you know. But I know that it's just, don't. Are you ready to to die? Unless there's, you know, of course, uh, some kind of mental you know, defecting, them. everybody has a will to live, you know, everybody's gonna fight, you know, with every breath they have to live, so, I don't have that number of defects, so, of course, I'm going to, you know, fight for, you know, every last breath that I have to, you know, prove my innocence and get out of here. Lauder's push to prove his innocence faces a hurdle
2: that he might not be able to cross. During their trials, Eason testified that Lotter was the one who pulled the trigger. Then, 12 years later, he changed his story and said he murdered the three. But because of a three-year statute of limitations passed by the state legislature, Eason's admission isn't allowed in an appeal without
4: DNA evidence. The way they had set up DNA, the way they tore it down by the time it got passed was that DNA would be the essentially the gateway. And once you had DNA, then you could put all the evidence that supported that DNA. Do you think that you will be exonerated? I think if I was at the hearing, if I was at the full-fledged hearing, where I could put on the evidence, I, I think I could prove my innocence. I really do. But the statute has been on the
2: books since the early 1900s, and there's no sign it'll change anytime soon. Reporting in Tecumseh, Chad Silver,
0: 1011 News. It's Friday, December 31st, 1993. 21-year-old white trans male, Brandon James Tina, wakes up to a hell of gunshot bullets. The doors kicked in. Brandon, who had been on the run from two individuals, 21-year-old cisgendered male, Marvin Thomas Neeson, and 22-year-old John Paul Lauder, both white cisgendered men. The three men, Brandon, John, and Tom, had been having issues with each other. Um, The three had initially began as friends starting back in the spring of 1993 when Brandon, a native of Lincoln, Nebraska, had relocated to the city or town of Humboldt, Nebraska um, after getting into some trouble. Well, John and Tom, who were both notorious for being bad boys, quickly took in the new, newly arrived Brandon to the city of Humboldt. And while in the city of Humboldt, Brandon meets an 18-year-old cisgendered female by the name of Lana Tisdale. Lana is the subject of quite a bit of the story because she was the love interest of Brendan. She was his girlfriend. They were together for quite a while before his hateful homicide on December 31st. Again, welcome my audience. Thank you so much for tuning in today to this episode, season two, episode five, Dead Before Dawn. And you know, as we go through this case, it's, you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about who Brandon was and and, and his, his identity and how that really began such a visibility um, in the early 90s for our trans masculine individuals. As we know from season one, and um, we've covered several trans masculine, trans male cases um, that were more in the 2010 um, decade. And so this case here takes us back a little bit further, almost 30 years ago, um, and it's very heartbreaking, but it was a very widely garnered case for the time that it happened. Um, It had such an intrigue of being from the heartland, um, the Midwest. Then of course you had these, you know, this element of gender identity and sexuality and violence, and then the victims, because unfortunately Brandon um, was not the only victim of this hateful homicide at the time on December 31st and 1993 at 11.30 p.m. Brandon, who was in the home with his good friend, um, 20-year-old cisgendered female Lisa Lambert, and her partner, um, 21-year-old African-American cisgendered male Philip Devine. And so lisa did have an eight-month-old son i'm um, not with philip divine but with someone else and so she was um, a single mother who had um welcomed brandon into her home because by this time which we're going to go a little backwards in just a moment to give you a little bit more context into this case but to kind of give you this idea of this buildup that led to that night brandon had fled um from fall city nebraska where the um, well, the main incident happened between him, John, and Tom. He then goes to Lisa Lambert's home, um, and her boyfriend, Philip Dividen, was visiting for, um, the Christmas, the holidays, and New Year's. And so he was already in town visiting, um, from Lincoln. So when Brandon went to, um, Lisa's home on the night of December 30th, just just a, a night before the hateful homicide. Um, it was for safety. And, and Lisa took Brandon in. Um, Lisa was also a good friend of Lana's as well. And Lana was the girlfriend of Brandon's. And again, we're going to get into, my audience, we're going to get into this whole Um, very complicated love story that ended so tragically uh, with three people dead. And also at that time, an eight month old little boy without his mother. So, you know, this case just really pulls at the strings of so many different identities, whether you're a trans man, whether you're a single mother, whether you are the partner of a single mother um, or the partner of a, of a trans man, you know, you're going to hear so many different uh, testimonies. And um, you've already heard a little bit from John Lotter, um, 20 years later. So that audio was from 2013, where he's, um, he's still on death row currently, but that was him, you know, speaking in an interview about the probability of him going to um, being put to death. Um, but we're also going to hear from Brandon, his own words from an incident that happened, um, which we're going to talk a little bit about in just a moment. And then um, also, again, you're going to hear some more audio from the actual um I don't want to say confessions but interviews with john lauder and tom neeson um and then finally um from the the lady of the of this story uh, lana Tisdell, brandon tina's girlfriend and we're going to hear from her as well so there's going to be a lot of conversations in here so let's get into it we're going to go back to April 30th of 1993. Brandon James Tina, born December 12th, 1972. He was born in the city of Lincoln, Nebraska to a 16-year-old mother, Joanne Brandon, and a father, Patrick Brandon. Unfortunately, Patrick had died, um, just a month into Joanne's pregnancy and so Brandon never got to know his father. He was the youngest of two, so he has an older sister named Tammy Um, and so pretty much his childhood centered around him, his older sister Tammy, his mother Joanna, and his maternal grandparents who he essentially grew up with um, while Joanna got herself together. Well, um, of course, the childhood was very traumatizing. Joanna did marry um, when Brandon was four and she divorced when Brandon was eight. So the only stepfather that Brandon had um, was out of his life by the time he was eight. And we do have um, evidence, court evidence, records stating that um, Brandon and his sister was taken out of the home because of um, being sexually assaulted and molested by a male relative so again you have this this childhood context of brandon's journey and you know even in his early youth the late '70s, early 1980s, um, Brandon began to definitely express himself in a very masculine way. Um, having short hair, he was definitely into more at that time what would have been considered more masculine sports such as basketball, football, weightlifting. Um, and then also um, him and his sister Tammy were placed into a religious private school, um, which definitely had a lot of um, connotation on um, sexuality and gender and what that like um, for individuals. And so that was a very challenging time for Brandon. And ultimately, uh, during his sophomore year of high school, he left um, his home that he shared with his mother, um, Joanna at the time, and moved in with a girlfriend by the name of Tracy Beals. The two lived together for a while, but unfortunately, Brandon was a victim of intimate partner violence um, and returned home to live with his mother. By his senior year, Brandon was identifying as a man. And um, he had became very vocal to his community as well as his family about his gender identity. And he did begin to date cisgendered females. Um, he did initially go by the name of Billy Brinson. Um, Brinson being a family name of his father's. And uh, then he would also finally choose the name Brandon James Tina. Um, he was described initially as a socially awkward teen and then he became an outgoing class clown unfortunately his mother joanna was not supportive of his gender identity and social and medical transition she refused to accept his male identity and confused um, and continued to refer to Brandon um, misgendering him, misnaming him um, and this definitely um, had a strain on their relationship up until brandon 's death and even unfortunately after. The, the tragedy as we know in some of these cases, while we do have some families who are supportive, um, like my like my family, but then we have families who aren't like Brandon's. And so Brandon unfortunately was not buried um, or laid to rest as Brandon James Tina. And so um, that was um, an act that his mother decided on. And so, um, and, and that's how he was um, ultimately buried. And um, and so again, he did um graduate class from high school in 1991. And um but prior to that he had been expelled. Um again, he was described as the ideal man who was the perfect balance of rugged, cowboy and athletic jock with a kind of Kennedy-like jawline. Um he had a handful of romances. Um, but with the lack of support from loved ones. And he was also at times a little trepidatious about his gender identity. Um, Brandon did face depression like a lot of us. And um, he did um, trigger warning um, attempt suicide um, in 1991 after being expelled from high school, do graduating, but being expelled. Um, and then of course he was placed in the Lancaster County crisis um, center for a few days where he did receive treatment also you know it's important as we talk about this case as we delve into the hateful homicide as Brandon was murdered just before dawn of New Year's Eve on 1994 and um, it's important to also again go and talk about who Brandon was again um, just before his 21st birthday Brandon arrives in homeburg Nebraska where he wanted to begin a fresh start um, he again picked up friendships with John Water Tom Neeson. He began to date Lana Tisdale, but Brandon did force checks and had um, been arrested prior to coming to Humboldt in April of 1993. And so um, he had, you know, during April up until about October of 1993, um, his relationship with John Lauder, Tom Neeson, and Lana Tisdale was going relatively well. Um, there's photos in the blog that I posted through TransGrio Weekly that you can check out. Uh, photos with, um, with Brandon and John and Brandon and Tom, Brandon and Lana. So there was a really strong friendship there. They all, you know, were this kind of bad You know, bad crew that got into trouble, did things, but it was like, you know, harmless, like young adult trouble um, in a small town of Humboldt. Um, But again, around October of 1993, Brendan's past came back to hunt him. The checks that he had forged um, had ultimately led to him being arrested. And he was in the Humboldt um, town jail for a good month and a half finally, on December 19th, 1993, Lana Tistel shows up to pay his bill. Um, but she found out at that time that Brandon was housed in the cisgendered female section of the jail. Um, and according to Lana, this was her first time aware of Brandon's gender identity. According to Lana, When she confronts Brandon on December 19th, 1993, just 12 days before the hateful homicide, Brandon states that he was intersex um, and that he was placed in this um, cisgendered female section um, and that he was seeking gender reassignment surgery. And so Lana was a little skeptical about this. She wasn't quite sure what to make of this, but nonetheless, she loved Brandon. The two had been together at that time for seven months. So he was, and we're going to hear from her later as well in, in in an interview. And you can hear the love that she had for him. And despite learning of his gender identity, she stood by Brandon. But she was also cognizant of the fact that John and Tom who um, had also discovered this after Lana had discussed with her own mother, Linda, um, the recent developments of Brandon's gender identity. Linda then tells John Lauder and Tom Neeson friends or supposed friends of Brandon's about his gender identity. And then this would lead to a very tragic scene of events stemming just really within a short period of time. I mean, you go from December, 1993, where that afternoon where Lana is bailing Brandon out of jail, discovering his gender identity to then you know confiding in her mother who she's close with who's Brandon is also close with uh, Lana's father Leland so the whole family is close with Brandon you know she's disclosing um, to her family you know as sort of a confidant situation and then this of course trickles to John Motter and Tom Neeson and though Lana and her family were you know understanding um, of Brandon's gender journey John And Tom were not and they reacted in such a rage and violence towards Brandon and by December 31st 1993 three people would end up dead shot to death Brandon six gunshot wounds the head the torso and the back Lisa Lambert twice in the back and Philip Devine once in the head the only surviving member of that hateful homicide was Lisa Lambert's eight-month-old son, who shall remain anonymous. But before the hateful homicide on December 31st, 1993, we have to go to December 25th of 1993. It's Christmas Day and Brandon is hanging out with Lana at her home when John Lauder And Tom Neeson arrived. They had heard these rumors, right, from Lisa's, uh, excuse me, Lana's mom, Linda, and Lana's dad, Leland, and they arrived to Lana's home that she shared with her parents where Brandon was staying. staying, um, He had been staying there since he had been released from um, from jail after he had spent over a month for being arrested on forging checks back in um, Falls City, um, excuse me, Lincoln, Nebraska. And so he is at the home. They're all, they are celebrating a Christmas party. They come in and they immediately confront Brandon. They want to know is he assigned female at birth. They take him to the bathroom of Lana's home, literally picking him up, placing him on the bathroom counter. They unbutton his pants, pull them down. Well, they discover Brandon's anatomy. They make him put back up his pants, snatch him out of the home, place him in the back of Lana's car, and drive to an abandoned industrial building there they sexually assault Brandon both of them and then return him to the home of Lana's you know Brandon was then rushed to the Falls City Hospital emergency room well rape kit sexual assault kit um, from the frontal anatomy as well as the anal and oral anatomies were all tested a police report was filed and brandon would then have to file an audio you know account of this of this of this vicious assault placed upon him which was his worst fear it was his worst fear to be sexually assaulted again by a man, as we know from his childhood, he had already been sexually assaulted by a male relative, him and his older sister. And so then to now go through this at the age of 21, 2021, 20, it was very heartbreaking for Brandon. Um, and so he is then, you know, interrogated, interviewed by um, the Nebraska sheriff of Richardson County, Charles Law and he um asks these very inappropriate questions in his mind i guess he felt like he was being thorough and asking the questions that he needed to ask um to get the information he needed to document um but again i'm about to go ahead and give you all an idea of what that looked like again warning this um this interview, this interrogation, is is very traumatizing to Brandon. You're going to hear a little bit of that from Brandon's own words. So again, I do um, caution you to just, you know, just definitely listen with caution.
1: Um, thank you. You're you're about your pants, right? you your pants down how far? you How you pull your pants down? What do you have in your other pants? Turn mm-hmm. your pants. not to you pull pants. your pants. All right, so after you pulled your pants down, I'll see you as a girl, what'd you do? Did he find her yet? He was finding her, huh? Did that, that kind of evasion? After you pulled your pants down, if they wanted to take me to bed, and you don't know, that a boy, you couldn't do that. Did so that kind of get your attention somehow, that he would have put his hands in your pants and played with you a little bit? Huh? I can't believe that if he you pulled your pants down. I'm like I'm okay, the weapon. i about the weapon. i talking to the weapon. I'm the weapon. I'm the I'm talking the I'm the the I'm the that's I think that is the I do you I think that's that is the I think anyway. that is the the I think So when I got ready to you, how was your position in the back, please? On my back. He's you on your back. When did guys not me in the first half. I think if I you think you right there for that. Which one
3: do I do this first? Uh,
1: okay. so, right. You say good, you yeah. 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 Well, I know Where are you it. I'm going to you. The yeah. the first? of the yeah. like, like, right. the Good, when yeah. <laughs> <was> not that back, <laughs> what did you do? All right. Uh, <laughs> down, he got spread too. You <laughs> he spread out, he got to spread it, he's There we let's back up it for a second. First of all, you didn't see anybody getting out. Did he have a harder one when he got back in or what? No, I didn't He worked. Did he think he work it out for what? Did you work it out for him? No, I didn't. He didn't work it out for him. Did you think he had to work it out his own or what? I, not, I don't know. Did you never have No, I he did no. Did you, he had not, know. Did you never had anything before? No. All right? And if you want, I think you have to Car- and. I haven't done that. it's a long time to re- like me. so long it's I do against the I'm i yeah. so, just, yeah. he just what he's he why do you run around with girls? Instead of guys, being your a girl. You don't. Don't you like you're girl. Why do you let girls think you? Okay. The only thing that goes to lose the court that answers to that question that come up in court. And I'm going to want to an answer more before it goes to court. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you wait. Right. That's actually a lot of money. Can you explain
0: that? I <laughs> don't As you can hear, Brandon was traumatized. The sheriff of Richardson County at the time, Charles Locke, you know, was very blunt. He was very brutal. He was very hateful in the way that he spoke to Brandon. Um, You could definitely hear um, though some of the audible, um, excuse me, the audio was a little ineligible and my apologies for that. But to give you again for what you could make out of this interview, you could hear him just, you know, asking these very, you know, blunt and very, um, I felt like just disrespectful questions. And you could also hear Brandon. Um, he asked, he said, "What does this have to do with, you know, my what is what is me presenting male and me dating um, dating cis females? What does that have to do with me being sexually assaulted last night?" And I, that's that's the key question because everything that sheriff locks was ax- asking was totally irrelevant to the ultimate goal which was getting justice for brandon and so what he was doing was re-traumatizing brandon who had just went through that the night before and so again you know i just wanted to give you all a little bit of that context as well but again let's go so from stemming from here so this you know, interview happened on December 26th of 1993, again, um, at the Richardson County. This was in Falls City, Nebraska. So after Brandon does the interview, or he's interrogated by uh, Sheriff Charles Locks, he then leaves Falls City, Nebraska, because he knows, uh, based on what, after, you know, this recording is done, that John and Tom are gonna be arrested for sexual assault. That much is true because of the fact that when Brandon had went to the Fall City emergency room and they did that, that sexual assault kit, um, they, there was evidence of sexual assault, very violent. Um, trauma, And so, again, all of that was very evident. And regardless of how Brandon identified assault is assault, sexual assault is sexual assault. So John Lauder and Tom and both who already had criminal records for violence, um, were going to be arrested for that. So Lana and, um, and her family as well, because they felt bad for the fact that John and Tom had, especially Tom, Um, in particular, um, was very violent with Brandon. And so, you know, they felt guilty and they felt bad. And so Lana reached out to Lisa, um, a good friend of hers. and, and, And Lisa, who, you know, cared for Brandon, you know, he again, he was a likable guy, very charming. And despite this situation here of his gender identity, he was a likable guy, and so Lisa wanted to help Brandon, and so she thought, along with her boyfriend Philip, that it would be the safest um, and smartest idea for Brandon to come to Humboldt, um, Nebraska, which was just about thirty minutes north of Fall City. Brandon arrives on December twenty-sixth, and he's there. Around the same time that Brandon arrives to Humboldt, Sheriff Charles Lux and his team are arresting John Lauter and Marvin Thomas Meeson. They both are arrested and they are interrogated about the allegations that Brandon has accused them of, which is sexual assault and battery. And so the two deny it and they are held Um, in the Richardson County jail without bail for a couple of days their families come up with the bail on the morning of December 31st 1993 so that's that Friday and they get out of the jail and the two are fuming my audience they want to know where is Brandon? Where the hell is Brandon? And they immediately go to Lana's home that she shares with Linda and Leland. It's a little dicey on if Lana, Leland, and Linda willingly told John and Tom where Brandon was, or if they were forced or coerced into disclosing where Brandon was. But nonetheless, the information is given to Tom and John. Tom Neeson, uh, again, 22-year-old cisgender right white male from Nebraska. Both him and John had no goals, no ambitions, um, and, and, and we're going to hear from them um, in just in just a moment. But. And this is actually following the hateful homicide of Brandon, Lisa, and Philip, and so you're gonna hear just you know, and, and this is very early on into their into the murders, and so you you hear very very bluntly how they feel um, about the whole situation, um, and even though in the beginning of the episode we could hear John, you know, kind of making peace with his fate um, and seeming a little more calm. 20 years later um, in 1994 when he's arrested and when he, um, and when you hear from them at this time he was very much uh, proud of um, of what he did to Brandon and, and and the others and and so they get to the home it's around 11:30 p.m. Friday night December 31st 1993 in Humboldt Nebraska it's a winter night there's snow the Christmas lights are still hanging in Lisa's home. Her eight-month-old son, you know, he's fast asleep, snuggled. Lisa and Philip have just went to bed before the New Year's um, morning. You know that countdown. They have about a thirty-minute countdown, so they're like in their bed uh, watching some MTV. Brandon is in another room, a guest room. Um, he's asleep. You know, he's been on edge. He's actually been very fearful. Um, You know, he had actually spoken to Lana just, you know, a day before. Um, We're not sure if Lana was able to get the information to Brandon about John and Tom being on their way to commit the hateful homicides. But we do know that they spoke the night before and Brandon was afraid. He was thinking of even just getting out of the state of Nebraska. um, And unfortunately he did not get that chance. And so again, around 11.30 p.m. on Friday, December 31st, 1993, the doors kicked in into the home of Lisa Lambert. Brandon wakes up, believing his worst nightmare about to come true. John and Tom calls out for Brandon. Where are you? Brandon comes to the front door of the guest room. He's pleading, hands up, don't shoot, please. I'm sorry, I'll recant my testimony. Six gunshots go out, shotgun blast, killing Brandon. But that wasn't it. Tom Neeson grabs a butcher knife and stabs Brandon six additional times, then into their horror. Lisa is screaming, her eight-month-old son on the floor, crawling around blood. Philip, who is also pleading for their life, saying that they won't say anything, they won't identify who has just committed this hateful homicide. Both are shot, Lisa twice, once in the head, once in the back, Philip once in the head. All three are now dead laying on the ground, this eight month old little baby who is on the floor crawling around, crying, screaming. He had been laying in the bed with his with his mother and his his mother's boyfriend. He is left there for hours. It's not until dawn of nineteen ninety four, Saturday, January first, nineteen ninety-four, when Lisa's family was unable to get a hold of her. She was supposed to attend a New Year's family event with her son, and they hadn't been able to get a hold of her or Philip. Philip, who was visiting from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, his mother also was wanting to wish him a happy New Year and had been unable to. So she reaches out to Lisa's family. Lisa's family reaches out to Lisa. They don't get an answer. Lisa's parents walk over. Um, excuse me, drive over to the home um, that their daughter had with their eight-month-old grandson and visualizes a carnage, a macabre scene like no other. Their daughter, they can't even believe that that's their daughter, unrecognizable, her boyfriend, this this guy who they know as Brandon, all three of them are dead, their eight-month-old grandson walking around in a soul to type up, it was heartbreaking. It was traumatizing. Well, you know, the humble detectives want to know what is going on, they walk onto the scene. And they, you know, talk to Lisa's family and then they get this context of, they believing in that, the, that this hateful homicide stemmed from Brandon, the guest. Um, who had already had this situation, who was fleeing from a violent situation in fall city, Nebraska, the Humboldt, the, the, excuse me, Humboldt, Nebraska team reaches out to the fall city, Nebraska team. And as they do, they uncover right this December 25th, 1995 sexual assault of Brandon and the fact that John Lauder and Paul, uh, excuse me, John Lauder and Tom Neeson have been released um, just a few hours earlier. Um, and then they also speak to Lana Tisgall and they uncovered that John and Tom had went to the home of Lana and her parents just a few hours before the hateful homicide, confronting them, threatening them to tell them what Brandon is, which they do. And so it's pretty clear at that time that John Lauder and Marvin Tom Neeson are the perpetrators of this hateful homicide. And they're ultimately arrested and brought in um, and interviewed. The two go to trial in 1996, and they ultimately plead guilty, uh, found guilty of first degree murder and are sentenced to death, both of them. Now, the interesting thing about this case is that you ask yourself, well, did they get put on death row for Brandon's case, not necessarily, though. Uh, and at this time, right, we have to think about hate crimes and what that looked like. And the state of Nebraska had no hate crime laws, especially for individuals pertaining to gender identity. Mm-hmm. And so the the the, the uh, this this case, this this tragedy, it ultimately the only reason why they were found guilty of first degree murder was because of lisa's case because of the fact that she was a single mother and because an eight-month-old boy was crawling around in a pool of three individuals blood that is where the first degree that is where the death penalty comes in at for them and that is in a way justice for brandon right and for philip too because we also have to look at philip who was a black male, black cisgender male, in this, in this in this hateful homicide as well? And though both him and Lisa were um, casualties, um, unfortunately, you still have to pull into this idea of of what does that mean for justice for him as a black man, and even for Lisa as a as a single white female, single mother, and even justice for her son. So you know, justice was served, and they are currently. Uh, on death row both Tom and John but I do want to take you all back into um, again when they were initially arrested back in 1994 January of 1994 to give you all um, a context into their mindset and committing the hateful homicides of Brandon James Tina Lisa Michelle Lambert and Philip Todd Devine on December 31st 1993
4: Get better than any jobs, lot of welfare and stuff, you know. You, you know, if you got somebody that got some job and keeps a job, <laughs> you know, but especially the girl that don't get, end up pregnant and end up on welfare for the rest of their life, you're, you're pretty damn lucky. <laughs> you know, so that's a false city for you. Oh, when we went out drinking together. We talked about women. We'd ride around and say, well, What about that one? What about that one there, you know? You know, just guy to talk. Yeah, she didn't like Brandon. She didn't, and the did Linda. And other did Melissa. The only one did was, man, I mean, she was just so really, I mean, she, actually, she was really And I think even, still today, day, she probably still half-assed brainwashed. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he still calling him, and he, 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 you no damn well, said so she talked to him down her pants, and he put his finger right there and said, oh, that, you know, Something you know, there ain't nothing there. There's, she's a girl, you know. And I, I said, Well, I saw something. And I looked at Brandon, I said, What was it I saw? You know, just playing it off. I mean, you guys can sit there and shake your fucking heads. No, but I told you, I told both of you. Well, not both of you cause I don't think I talked to you on the phone. But Susan, I told you on the phone there's going to be some things I cannot answer because they could endanger or whatever my appeal process. He wasn't even on top of her yet, you know. He was uh, doing something with getting something out of the coat and stuff, which I found out later was a rubber, you know. And and then a little bit later, he was out of the car, and he came to me, you know, and said, well, you know, I want to go back there and stuff like that, you know. And I went back, you know, stupid, and I went back, you know. But I didn't have sex with her. You know, I went back there and I tried, but I couldn't keep it up too dark. Thinking think of my fiance at the time too much. Couldn't get it up. I did ejaculate in, in in the rubber because of the going up and down and the rubbing, you know, when I did get it up, trying to proceed to put it, uh, you know, have sex with her. But, uh, her time to go down, and because of that, you know, I, you know, and I said, fuck it, and I got up, <laughs> you know, you know, she was very, very quiet, she didn't say nothing, you know, she said "ouch" a few times, you know, you know, that's it, you know. I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed that that someone would make alleged charges against me that I had participated in the rape.
2: Her
3: biggest fear was was to be touched by a man, to possibly be raped by a man because she was a man. If
4: I knew that if I took the polygraph, they would know. That Tom went back there and had sex, and then I went back there and tried to have sex. You know, even though I knew that it was, as far as I knew, it was consensual, I knew that he mm-hmm. was just being the person he, he is. is. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. He, like, that's all I need, and, and I'd go back to prison because they wouldn't give a fuck what I said. You know, both of them being in prison, both of them realizing they were going bad, and Ray carries 50 years, both of them being ex felons. They were going to get some time out of that. And they figured, you know, just, you know, if we can shut her up, you know, if we can take care of the one that's pressing charges, we ain't going back. So that's exactly why they had to do that, you know, I can see that. Well, they were just a bunch of charges. So, I wasn't real worried that they were just alleged charges
0: they were just alleged charges those are the words from Tom Neeson John Water as well as you could hear the the testimonies um, from both of them as you could hear this is back from 1994 March of 1994 Um, and you could hear them being very brazen very uh, apathetic There was never a mention of, you know, sadness for the eight-month-old boy who lost his mother or Philip Devine's mother who lost a son or Lisa's parents or, most importantly, Brandon's mom, Joanna, and his sister, Tammy. So, or even for Lana, right, and her family. So, you know, that is why they are on death row that is why they are still on death row and that is why they have been denied appeals every single time because they still have not acknowledged the hurt and the pains that they have caused that entire community the entire state of nebraska was rocked by this hateful homicide of brandon lisa and philip you know and yeah there's this okay it was more so because they were worried about you know, going to, to prison for 50 years for sexual assault. But in reality, the sexual assault occurred because they were targeting Brandon for being trans. So they can, you know, unpack it however they want to. The reality is, is that they targeted a trans man simply for being who he was, simply for the fact that he was more popular. Let's be very quite clear about that. Brandon was more attractive. He was more popular. He was more likable in a town that they were from how dare he according to them probably with this anger that they had when they unleashed all of this on december 25th and december 31st right how dare he come into their town take their women you know and as you could even hear from john in the beginning they felt like lana was brainwashed quote unquote as if she couldn't think for herself um and love brandon and accept him without being quote unquote brainwashed this is the ideology that they had so The height for homicide is that, is that because of the fact that Brandon was a trans man and they wanted him gone. And how dare this man not only just not accept the sexual assault, you know, because that's really what they wanted to do was teach him a lesson and uh, just have him sit in that. But when he spoke up and he was a self advocate and he even advocated against himself with the sheriff, as you heard in that testimony about what does this have to do? What does me dating cis women have to do with me being sexually assaulted? Right, Brandon's always been a fighter. He fought for himself. He got out of his you know, abusive home and he made a life for himself. And though he got caught up in some things, he still was like a lot of us as trans folks looking for love and just wanting to get his life together and be the best version of himself. And unfortunately that like the lives of all of these 21 year olds on the late evening going into the dawn of 1994, Friday, December 31st, 1993 in Humboldt, Nebraska. When Brandon James, Tina, Philip Devine, and Lisa Michelle Lambert were all met with a hateful homicide. As we prepare to conclude this case, I want to, you know, leave with the words of the woman at the center of this entire case, Lana Tisdell. Lana has since been married, and you know she no longer lives in Nebraska. She still maintains a relationship with her mother and father. But, you know, this case really did impact her. And she, you know, still to this day blames herself for Brandon's murder, for Lisa's murder, right? Because she knew Lisa. She was a friend of Lisa's and she knew Philip. And if she had not told John and Tom, right, her and her family had not disclosed that location, then maybe the outcome would have been different. We don't know. I do believe that at the end of the day, John and Tom were determined to murder Brandon, Um, and that was what they were going to do. And they would have on December 25th. Um, it's just so happened that they didn't, um, but they ultimately decided to, and it happened. And unfortunately, Lisa and Philip were, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time, but I do want to take a moment and just let you all hear how this impacted Lana and the love that she had for Brandon, and then we'll prepare to conclude
3: wasn't at all. I mean we did I mean we rarely talked about sex. I mean he wasn't one to just jump in bed with somebody. I mean he he said whatever I wanted to whenever I was thinking because he, he said he said she he didn't care if it was but He said it could be months after months and the title of two people that couldn't push him into anything. And the guys down here, I mean in the outfit they want you to have sex with them like right that. It wasn't like that at all, so I'll push you in the next day, nothing. So I had your family with you? It was good. I thought that was really good, but I, mean, I was kind of awake, because I wanted to UCX, and most of the guys I knew around here, but when that was the battle, they they, wanted they, of six, One hour, they were in a 321 relationship. The brand they wanted not a relationship, they wanted to just go to the ground with me for sex, They basically went out and me because they really liked me. it was, I think, the 28th or 29th of December. He was here one night. He wasn't supposed to be. We kind of slept in the house one night. My mom was gone. So, while well, I left, I went uptown to get some pot and cigarettes. And he wrote me while I was gone. And you was just sitting there writing. He didn't have nothing else to do. So, he wrote me a little letter. And bring it in. Alright, it says, Throw well, never mind. I, I'm right here. Hell, I can't think of anything else to do. I guess i am lost, at least, at a loss of words. First of all, I wanted to say I'm sorry for all this shit that has gone on. I know that saying, I'm sorry, is not enough. But that's all I can think of saying. What do you mean the world to me? Well, at least, the part right now. And I'll do anything you ask, just ask me, okay? Besides, I guess we're both we both understand. We're both crazy. Love Brandon. The best letter I ever wrote. Sit down the him. I was mean, very right, sweet. Okay, well put around here saying that Brandon was crazy and he was dangerous. And or well, everybody thought that he was messing with my mind. Thought that I was, I guess, out of it or something. Well, my parents wanted me to go to this place. I guess up in Lincoln or Omaha. I don't know what it is. It's not, I call it a crazy home for crazy people. I don't, I don't know what it's called. But they wanted me to get help because they thought Landon was really messing with my mind so and then when I, and I told about that and so people were calling me and you both crazy so that's why i wrote that part so i'm well not crazy and <laughs> neither was brave and he was not crazy I, mean, I wish he would have told me from the start, but he didn't. It, I mean I mean wouldn't have been friend if they ever walked away. That day, he should have told me from the start or told people from the start. And we he thought we were really gonna be his friend I and mean, he should trust them not to lie to them. And like people to tell people, not just go around acting like someone else someone else or not.
0: So you could hear that Lana really did care for Brandon. And of course, at the end, you could hear her opinions about disclosure. Um, And of course, we as trans folks have to be very cognizant of how we disclose because of situations like this. And so as we prepare to conclude, I just want to say to my brother, you have been a leader in so many ways for the trans masculine movement. You spoke up and stood up in the state of Nebraska. In the city of Lincoln, Falls City, and the town of Humboldt. Brandon James Tina, we remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, and always. Born December 12, 1972, and resting on since December 31st, 1993. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenna Robinson, your host. Please, you can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And then you can also follow us on Instagram at A Hateful Homicide. You can follow me at Mallory Jenna 90 M-A-L-L-E-R-Y-J-E-N-N-A 90. Again, please use the hashtags A Hateful Homicide, Transgender Awareness, true crime Podcast suspenseful saturdays again thank you all so much for tuning in stay tuned for next saturday at 12 p.m pacific standard time and as we prepare to go into transgender day of remembrance also known as t-door next saturday thank you and enjoy
1: the rest of your day bye